Good evening. We are going to give Pastor's voice a little bit of a break tonight. So I will be singing the liturgy so that he will be able to preach good and strong and preach good and strong to us on Easter morning. So with that, we are going to rise and share God's peace with each other. God's peace. God's peace, Gary. God's peace. And remember to remain standing because we start this one standing up. <coughs> oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Make haste, O oh God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Praise to you, O Christ, Lamb of our salvation. You may be seated for the readings. The Old Testament readings are from the book of Isaiah. Chapter 53, verses 1 through 12. Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that would desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As the one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord was laid on him, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he not opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of the people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, he was put put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for his transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from the book of Job 42, verses 7 to 9. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. This is <clears throat> the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
As you are able, please rise in reverence to the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 23rd chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He was delivered up to death. He was delivered for the sins of the people. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is put away. He was delivered up to death. He was delivered for the sins of the people. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He was delivered up to death. He was delivered for the sins of the people. You may be seated as we sing the sermon hymn number 449, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. Oh, 
Good evening. Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. My servant, Job, will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. In 1882, a New York City businessman named Joseph Richardson owned a particularly narrow strip of land. It was only five feet wide and 104 feet long. And another businessman, Hyman Sarner, owned a normal-sized plot adjacent to Richardson's skinny one. And Sarner wanted to build an apartment building that fronted the avenue, and he offered Richardson $1,000 for the slender plot. Richardson was offended by the amount and demanded $5,000. Sarner refused. Richardson called Sarner a tightwad and slammed the door on him. Sarner assumed the land would remain vacant and instructed the architect to design the apartment building with the windows overlooking the avenue. When Richardson saw the finished building, he resolved to block the view. No one was going to enjoy a free view over his lot. So Joseph Richardson built a house a house 104 feet long, four stories tall, and five feet wide. The house was so narrow that only one person at a time could use the staircase. The largest table in any room was 18 inches wide. A newspaper reporter of some girth once got stuck in the stairwell, and two people were unsuccessful at pushing him free, so he got out only by stripping down to his undergarments. People called the building the Spite House. The Spite House was torn down in 1915, which is odd, because I'm pretty sure I've been there. And if memory serves me, I think I saw some of you on the guest list before or after me. Spite House is a lonely house, isn't it? There's only space enough for one person. And someone who lives in the spite house is reduced to one goal, to make someone miserable, and they usually do themselves. We're in a sermon series on Job, and if anybody had a reason to live in a spite house with large amounts of animosity and resentment, it was Job. At the top of the list would have been his wife. After all, Job had lost everything, but then his wife said, curse God and die. If Job doesn't already feel abandoned, you know he does the minute his wife tells him to pull the plug and be done with it. Then there was Eliphaz the arrogant, who says in Job 4 that the upright never perish and that those who see who sow trouble reap it. Both verses implying that Job is getting from God exactly what he deserves. Add in Bildad the Brutal to the list, because he also says in Job 8, Your children sinned against God, so he gave them over to the hand of their transgression. For Bildad, the only explanation for the tragic death of Job's children is because they sinned against God. And then there's Zophar the Zealot. He adopts, like the others, an aloof, stoic attitude toward Job's suffering and grief. These people never address God. And never pray to God for Job. And in Job 11, verse 6, they all agree that it's surprising that Job doesn't suffer more. 
What Job needs to do, they say, is stop claiming that he's innocent of great sin, and instead, he needs to repent harder. There are few experiences in life that are more painful than being rejected by friends and family members who should understand and sympathize with us. We wouldn't be shocked if Job decided to build a spite house and live in it the rest of his life. But wonder of wonders, in our text from Job 42, verse 8, God says, my servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. Job 42, in just two verses, in just verses 7 and 8, Job is called servant four times. Four times. And what does God's servant do? He intercedes for his enemies. He blesses those who curse him. He doesn't return evil for evil. Though Job is still a broken man, still scraping his sores with broken pieces of pottery, he refuses to unleash weapons of revenge. And we understand that all of this foreshadows, previews the greatest act of forgiveness. Because if anybody, and I mean anybody, had reason to live in a spite house, it was Jesus. At the top of his list were the chief priests and the scribes. They had paid Judas to betray the master, sent temple soldiers to arrest him in Gethsemane, brought his case before Pilate, stirred up the crowd to demand that he be crucified. Then there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the first to actively plot to kill Jesus. And when the Savior cleansed the temple before, the Sadducees joined in the plan to murder him at any cost. And don't forget the Roman soldiers. They brutally butchered Jesus at Gabbatha, placed a crown of thorns on his head, blindfolded him, and struck him in the face with their fists, spit upon him, railed against him, and finally with three nails crucified him. Add Pontius Pilate to the list who had in fact found Jesus innocent. But due to political pressure, the Roman governor sentenced him to crucifixion and then publicly washed his hands. What a crass, political, double-faced act of betrayal. That's quite a list. But it's not complete. There are other notorious sinners that Christ could have, should have, had a huge amount of spite toward. Embrace yourselves, because your name and mine are on that list. Our sins sent Jesus to the cross. Our corruption, our pride, our pettiness. The soldiers hoist Jesus up, the cross swaying forward and then back until it's secured with wedges at the bottom to hold it upright in the hole. Then they gamble to decide who will get the Savior's garments, which actually brings us full circle to our Sunday sermon series. Because at that point, what does Jesus say? His first statement from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And of course, the them that he's referring to are the chief priests and the scribes, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Roman soldiers, Pontius Pilate, and you and me. And Jesus' final words from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into the Father's hands, not into the hands of spite or anger or vengeance. Interceding for his enemies. 
He blesses those who cursed him. He doesn't return evil for evil. Jesus is a broken man. He hangs in pain and misery, and yet he still refuses to unleash weapons of revenge. Jesus refused to live in that spite house. So we need not live there either. You can forgive because your forgiveness has been won. Stay the course by the grace of the one who 2,000 years ago on Good Friday already stayed the course for you. And where does that power come from? To stay the course. It comes from the words and actions of Jesus, especially from Father, forgive them. To Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And because of the actions of that Savior, instead of a spite house, we get an eternal home with him forever. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please rise. Let my prayer rise before you as incense and the lifting up of my hands as evening sacrifice. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from this day, All generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things to me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, 
is now and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated as we collect the offerings. Please rise for our time of prayer. in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with you. And we pray. Almighty God, graciously behold this your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and delivered into the hands of sinful men to suffer death upon the cross. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives with you and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you willed that your Son should bear for us the pains of the cross and so remove from us the power of the adversary. Help us so to remember and give thanks for our Lord's passion that we may receive forgiveness of sin and redemption from everlasting death. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. 